Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code Buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details. I'm Derek. <laughs> And I'm Ray. I'm Alex Reed. Okay, well, welcome back to another episode of Mostly guys and welcome to another episode of mostly lit hello how are you doing how are you doing Alex? i'm good i'm good i'm good just trying to enjoy the most and the well the weather as it comes do you know what i mean you don't know how long it's going to last in britain well apparently it's going to be i think it's like three weeks they said or something what this heat yeah something like that serious something like it's that it's not even depending where you come from it's not even that hot yeah do you know what i mean yeah fair 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 <laughs> i'll use it while i can how's your week been it's been okay it's been um eventful you know yeah. running up and down i feel like i'm doing a lot at the moment mm-hmm, mm-hmm. trying to do a lot of charity stuff actually okay you know it's about time actually i've been, I've been meaning to do this kind of thing for ages and it's just yeah. i just haven't got around to it but now i'm can you talk about which charity stuff you want to do obviously urban synergy with the mentoring mm-hmm. young boys have been doing that for a while i might actually go and start volunteering in a couple of cancer research shops as well right. okay just okay. with the books and that okay cool. might be fun But anyway, yeah, what about you? You're putting it out there. I've yeah. not been doing much. I've just been you know, working on projects, stuff that I can't really talk about until for a few months now. Oh, we've got, we got secrets now, yeah? Yeah, secrets, man. But I just can't really... <laughs> I've got to like, keep it contained until, right, okay. until the time. Okay, fair enough. I mean, fair I'll tell you off air. It's fine. Yeah. Okay, cool. But yeah, I'm working on those things. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's kind of stressing me out. But it's all good because it's all for a good cause in the end. Well, before we get into too much of a discussion, yeah. I want to introduce our special guest this week. Special yeah. guest, could you please introduce yourself? Hi, my name is Ndaba Mandela, the chairman of the Africa Rising and the new author, which I've written a book called Going to the Mountain. Yes. You heard right, people. Ndaba Mandela. Mandela <laughs> in the studio with mostly late you had right how are you doing anyway I'm good man I'm good enjoying this lovely weather here in Britain mm. and uh, yeah man I'm just happy to be received so well and you know doing all the events and interviews yeah it's really be it's really really great to be received so well so oh, I'm amazing. happy I'm happy to be here this That's- weather is nothing like where you're from there at all is it well right like- now no it's not because right now in South Africa it's like five degrees Celsius say what oh wow five degrees celsius oh, it's man. like freezing in south africa right oh now. really mm-hmm. 
Oh, I always envisage South Africa just to always be warm. That's the colonizer's mindset. <laughs> That's the colonizer's mindset. <laughs> <laughs> it's a deconstruct. <laughs> wow. Um, I saw. I saw you. You just recently did a show, uh, like a live event as well. How did that go? Yeah. Um. You talking about the one we did last night? Yes. Uh, I saw some people tweeting about it. Yeah, we were in uh, Brighton. Uh, what's that place called? Rope Tackle, the Rope Tackle Art Center. Okay. Um, they had an event out there for us. It was uh, mostly the elderly uh, who were in attendance. Yeah. Uh, they had a bunch of young people, which was always a pleasure for me because I wrote this book mainly for young people. Mm-hmm. Okay. Basically, you know, uh, why I wrote this book is because we are celebrating 100 years of Nelson Mandela this yeah, year. Yeah. Yeah. If he was alive, we'd be celebrating his 100-year birthday. But most of us and people older know that the value of Nelson Mandela and the important example of leadership is set for the world. But the younger people, not so much. So I wanted the younger people to relate to Nelson Mandela as a grandfather because we can all relate to having a grandparent, yeah. right? And to see him on his humanitarian side, not this huge figure, a con revolutionary president, mm. but as a granddad. Yeah, yeah you know? as a person. And through that, you know, hopefully he will inspire them to reach out for the Nelson Mandela within all of us. Amazing. How do how do you see Nelson Mandela? Because obviously, you know, that's your grandfather, but you're obviously not immune to the way the media portrays him, the way culture portrays him. Does it ever have you ever looked at him as an idea and kind of forgotten that he is your grandfather? Well, not really, because you know, my parents never really talked about him much. Mm. Uh, the first time I heard about my grandfather was when my parents were telling me that we're going to go visit him in jail. And so I had a typical image of what jail was like, because I was only seven years old at the time. And so we went, but when we got there, it was nothing like what I had imagined. It was a normal house, and a house that I think it was beautiful, much more better than that house. They had a swimming pool. I didn't have a swimming pool. Mm, yeah. There were chefs who watched the never-ending story, which was like the main, you know, new latest release at the time. Mm-hmm. And um, we met the man, he was tall, you know, warm and engaged with all of us and he was just happy to obviously meet most of us for the first time. And that was the first time I had an idea of what I wanted to do when I grew up. That day I told myself, when I grow up, I want to go to jail. (laughs) (laughs) This is the house you, I think you said... They used to try and break him. Was it Victor? Was it Victor Vester? Ah, uh, yes, v- Victor Vester. Victor Vester. Okay. Yes. Um, so basically, they they kept him there by himself in mm-hmm. isolation, and they were really involved in the negotiations because they knew by then that they had to let him go, and they were walking towards freedom and democracy, etc. Yeah. Um, so they put him in this lovely house. He had chefs. He had all the luxuries that you would want. And tried to say, listen, Matiba, you're an old man now. You know, you should spend the rest of your days enjoying the time with your family. Oh, they manipulated And them. we will protect you and provide, you know, that make sure that you're comfortable. Yeah. Uh, as long as you denounce the ANC and your <laughs> comrades and denounce the whole political movement. Yeah. And of course, being Madiba, being the man that he is, you wouldn't have none of that. Yeah. So, yeah, that's, that's how it went. Was, was there like an element of fear when you went to see him? Because there's this big thing about grandparents obviously like if you're blessed or privileged enough to have them in your life mm-hmm. at one time they this this revered presence in your house or in your family or whatnot was it like what was the feeling of actually having to go you were seven years old yeah so yeah. going to visit your grandfather yeah i mean i really i thought a lot about it going there you know uh, and meeting but when we met him he was just such a a jolly good fellow you know he was just happy and smiley and so he 
you know, he just made us feel comfortable and mm. easy. And for me at that stage, I was more fascinated by the swimming pool <laughs> and I was engrossed with the never ending story and yeah. this fabulous food that we had, you know. Madiba became the secondary sort of feature yeah. of the day, you mm. know? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, before we get too much into yeah. the discussion, what's everybody reading at the moment? I'm at the moment, I'm still reading Just Mercy by Brian Stevenson. Mm-hmm. So I'm still going through that. Um, obviously, oh, whoever hasn't listened to the Roundhouse episode that we put out a few weeks back, it's just a story about a lawyer who works with, African-American lawyer who works with people on death row. And he has written a, like an amazing account of his career and his life. And he's just basically talking about the system in the States and how a lot of the people that are on death row and the death penalty, how unconstitutional it is mm. and trying to work with a lot of these largely innocent black men who are on death row. And he basically spoke a lot about that. Mm. It's an amazing book so far. I'm halfway through. It's a very intense read. And it also chronicles his life like as a young lawyer, like going from his background mm-hmm. and then going to uni and then getting internships and then changing his course of like of direction when it came to law and whatnot. It's a very enlightening and awe-inspiring book. Interesting. Cool. Definitely. Um, well, I've just started reading a book called The Seven Deaths of Emily Hardcastle. Okay. And I have no idea what it's about. I've read like 10 pages and I'm <laughs> so lost. But apparently, apparently you're lost for the first 200 pages and All then right. you're kind of like, oh, it starts to make sense. But then apparently it trips you up so again. Tony Morrison. Not not really Tony Morrison, but I think it's a mystery novel. But I know there's elements of time travel in it, and people, the girl, basically, like a ground. I think it's like a Groundhog Day thing, where right, okay. living the same day over and over again, sort of thing. But it's got great reviews. The cover looks amazing as well. That's why I bought it. The cover just looks incredible. Fantastic. So yeah, that's why I'm reading at the moment. Okay. What about you and Daba? What are you reading? Well, I just uh, finished the Franz Fanon book. Uh, we all know Franz Fanon, right? Yes, yep. we do. Uh, and um, obviously that was quite intense. Which book? Black Face, White Mask. Yeah. Good read. Mm. Uh, but yeah, I mean, there's a Frenchman being tra- translated into English. So yeah. it's not the easiest of reads. Yeah, but it's quite uh, the ideologies and how he breaks down the, the white capital system and yep. the fight with the you know black emancipation and... Mm-hmm. He's really, he's really articulate and uh, quite a brilliant mind. Yeah. But now I was obviously I'm here in London and um, I went to the uh, Penguin Random House and I picked up the Wiley book. Oh. Oh yeah. Esky, Esky Boy, which is, which is Esky Boy, you okay. know, which is on his autobiography. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to getting into that. Yeah. Ah, okay. It's, it's yeah. interesting. It's really good. Yeah. 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 Right, Derek. Do you have a gem this week? I actually do have a gem this week, mm. and it's a short story that I actually forgot about. And it's funny because when I started reading this, then. It kind of reminded me of the kind of the books and short stories I used to read. So I went back and read. It's called um, "Gentlemen of the Jungle." It's a short story by Jomo Kenyatta, and oh. it, it's basically like a little parable of colonizing somewhere and literally taking land and trying to justify it. So it's basically about, it's about animals, though. He's mm. talking about animals, but mm. the way he does it is is it's, it's amazing. It's really really. Yeah. I don't want to give anything away. I mean, it's a, a very short read as well. But that's my gem. Gentlemen of the Jungle by Jomo Kenyatta. Okay, right. So let's get back into the discussion about going to the mountain. Derek, do you have any... Yeah, I just wanted to start off and ask about the pressure you must have felt trying to condense life lessons from Nelson Mandela into a book. Like, I mean, how did you... Can you imagine? How do you do that? How did you choose what to include 
Well, it was a process. It took me about two years. How long? Uh, How long? Two years. Two. Okay. Uh, going back and forth, of course, with my agent and, uh, you know, trying to come up with a nice, juicy story for you. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I just chose sort of the most important lessons that he taught me. And, you know, he once told me uh, when we were having dinner, he said, Ndaba, you're my grandson. Therefore, people will look at you as a leader. Therefore, you must get the best marks in class. And I was like, whoa, 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 granddad, that's a lot of pressure now. <laughs> you know, um, I just wanted to be a normal kid. Yeah. I just wanted to fit in mm-hmm. and not stick out and not have people whispering, hey, that's Nelson Mandela's grandson, you know, which is what happened very often at school. You know, whenever we'd play against other schools or those new students and new teachers, etc. And, uh, you know, what sticks out is the lessons he taught me about leadership, You know, that leadership is not about being the best. It's not about being number one. It's not about having the most. It's about service. It's about the service that you give to the people that are less privileged or underprivileged than yourself, the people who do not have a voice, the people who cannot act for themselves. Mm. That is what true leadership is about. And of course, when we think about Nelson Mandela, he's one of the most revered and loved leaders. Uh, So those are the kinds of things that stick out. You know, he taught me that a leader has to be humble. You know, he said to me, Daba, you must not drive a Jaguar because then people will know you have money. Ooh, yeah, <laughs> and I was like, "But Granddad, you used to drive a Mercedes Benz." And what did he say to that? No, I didn't say that. Oh. I just, it wasn't <laughs> I'll let that one slide, Granddad. Uh, you know, um, so humility mm. very important as a leader. Integrity very important. You know, when you say, "Hey, brother, I'll meet you at the library at two o'clock," be there at two o'clock. Yeah. When you say, "I will submit this this report," you know, end of the week by close of business on Friday, make sure you do that. Mm-hmm. You know, that is integrity. Yeah. It's not really that difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how you really build your reputation, your name, and, and you garner respect. And uh, yeah, those are the kinds of things that uh, uh, Madiba taught me. One more very important thing that I learned from Madiba is that, you know, Madiba had incredible compassion for people. And uh, he treated everybody with the same respect. You can imagine Michael Jackson had come to our house uh, for our grandfather's birthday twice, in fact. Uh, George Bush, Lennox Lewis, a whole array of big, huge, famous people, right? Important people in the world. But my grandfather treated those people the very same way he he treated Mama Koli who cooked for us, Mm -hmm. Albert who cleaned the garden, Bromike who was the driver. You understand? Because what I understand is that not only could Madiba connect with any human being from zero years to whatever year, right? He understood that we each have the potential to achieve greatness regardless of your race, your sex, your demographic, or your history. That's fantastic. So how heavy did, the obviously, your surname weigh on you? Do you feel like it's kind of fast-tracked you a little bit onto the path of greatness? Well, yes. I mean, if in all honesty, you know, the love and respect that Madiba has carried throughout the world, it's very easy for me to open any door, really, you know, mm. Um Mandela's grandson. Okay, let's let's hear let's hear him out. Let's yeah. give an opportunity. Yeah, at least get into the you room. know. So yeah. I can open up literally any door, mm. but when I come, I better come correct mm. because in life you really only have one chance. Yeah, you know you always have to put your best foot forward, and as a Madiba, whatever you come with has to be tip top. Yeah. It can't be substandard or anything. It has to be the best. You know, mm. that's the that's the kind of pressure that we have. And people, of course, 
expects us to walk in the footsteps of Nelson Mandela. Mm. And nobody can really feel those footsteps. Those are footsteps of a giant. Mm. But I say, I walk in the light of Nelson Mandela. I carry the values of Nelson Mandela, you know, which is some of the the things that I've shared. Humility, integrity, discipline, you know, have conviction and, and deep passion for the cause that you're with. Because if... As a young person, you don't have passion for what you're doing or the cause that you're you know, pushing forward. You'll easily give up. You need yeah. to surround yourself with people that believe in you, good mentors, people that can guide you, uh, people that believe in you. So I was going to say that because a lot of grandparents, they tend to have a lot of proverbs that come with them. I deeply miss my granddad every day, but like I always remember... The, the little things patient man rides donkey all these different things like where there's where there's water there's life I mean that was that was so random just because he was sitting in the living room he had he always had a pint of water next to him and I was like to him why do you have that are you drinking that and like, why do you have this water and he would always be like you know where there's water there's life and then that was that would literally be the end of yeah, like, yeah. his thing but then when he died there was no longer that pint of water do you see what I mean and it was really 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 impactful when I started going through the grieving process like what was that process like for you like what proverbs do you remember from him um I mean my grandfather I I don't remember any proverbs that he told us to Mm. be honest with you but he told a lot of stories Mm. um you know, about his childhood growing up, you know, the things he enjoyed doing. Uh, and he told us the story of this gentleman. Um, he was a warrior from the hunter-gatherers, the Khoisan tribe. So basically he was telling us that from the first time that the whites started to settle in South Africa, there was resistance because there was just clash over cattle, over farming, over the land. And there was the one battle that took place at the edge of a cliff, and, uh, of course, the Bushmen were fighting with their bows and arrows, and uh, the Dutch people had their guns, and eventually they had cornered the, the Khoisan people up against the cliff, basically. And so most of them were dying, and there was only one the general was left. And basically, you know, they saw that even though all his men had died, he continued fighting. And so they raised the white flag. You know, to say, okay, you know, let's stop fighting, come over, you know, we want to say congratulations. And the man didn't adhere to that. He basically shot his last arrow and he jumped over the cliff. And my grandfather was saying to me, how can you, after a great battle, seeing all your men being killed, go and surrender yourself to the enemy? You know, so I would rather be a dead man than be a man incarcerated by my enemy. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's interesting because in the first chapter of the book you talk about the power of forgiveness over the power of violence and how some oh, wow. people would call that foolishness. Do you think that is foolishness in any way, shape or form to believe that the power of forgiveness is what will take us forward rather than physical resistance? Well, of course, everything has a time and place is what I believe in. Um, when we look at Nelson Mandela himself, he was a man that resorted to violence. I don't know if you remember, but Nelson Mandela was the first commander in chief of the military arm of the ANC. He trained himself six months in Algeria, six months in Ethiopia, because they felt that their continued marches of peace and protest were not making any strides. They were not getting any progress. The enemy was not listening. And there was an interview, a really powerful interview, where he said that there is a, a new thought within the ANC that our continued peaceful marches are only met with brutality and savage attacks 
on an unarmed people. Now is the time for us to take arms and hit back at the enemy. And that's exactly what they did. But unlike the enemy, they didn't attack people. They attacked the infrastructure of the apartheid government. So they bombed the power stations. They bombed the, the telephone lines and the telephone infrastructure and post office and things like that. Uh, but of course, there will always be casualties of war. And uh, he went to jail. And, you know, after 27 years of jail, having witnessed what was happening in Africa, you know, because a lot of the time when the African countries became independent, they were marred by civil war. And so he saw this. And I think, you know, after experiencing so much violence and obviously hearing the news, they would smuggle in newspapers. I think he just wanted to end the violence because it was a cycle of brutal violence that was never ending. And I think he basically made a decision to come out and say peace. Let us end this violence, you know, otherwise it will never end. So he was peaceful and he was violent. You know, yeah. it's really all about your strategy and what is your end goal. They kind of work hand in hand, really, don't they? Peace and violence. Yeah. Uh, without, I'm without, not sure. Without, <laughs> without one, you don't have the other. Without the other, you can't have. I mean, yeah. yeah they, I mean, there's. You see, I mean, you, it, some some people use violence to get peace. Some people. They they do, and I use think peace outside you're right. I think violence has its place. You know, at the end of the day, like I think it was Asata Shakur who said, "No people have achieved." peace or basically freedom by appealing to the moral aspect of the oppressor so if you're trying to march and say look how you're treating us look, look all of these things it's kind of futile because they know they're doing it so yeah I'm, I'm kind of of the mind that sometimes violence is the only way to solve a problem especially if you're being violently oppressed that's true do you know what i mean that's true but i think uh peace is ultimately what we want ultimately what we're striving for because there's not much progress that happens during the time of violence we look at the congo right now you know there's been civil war that's been happening in the north of congo since it's the longest war known to man that's mm. been happening still going on and that is because the western world want to make sure that these people are in this consistent state of violence and war and deprivation so that they can continue reaping those resources for next to nothing you know, most of the coltane, Congo has 80% of the world's coltane, which you use in your smartphone, in your smart TVs, in most of the technological devices, devices that you use. So for them, it's in their best interest to make sure that the civil war continues, so they're mining all these resources for free. Mm. Essentially, I hear that. Actually. That's some bullshit. Yeah, I'm tired. <laughs> so then, let, talking about uh, forgiveness, then you know, there's obviously making peace, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you've forgiven. I'm trying to say we should forgive the colonizer. I mean, I I, this is what I want to ask: do, do you feel like you have made peace with what this situation was in South Africa, mm. and you've also forgiven the people who? perpetrate those violence acts and enacted apartheid i believe that we need to forgive the colonizer oh, God. Mm. i believe that if we do not forgive the colonizer we will forever be trapped in this planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like european linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Spirit of hatred and hostility when we need to be focusing on building our people. Mm. Let us leave the colonizer because we, we, have, we have dealt with him for decades. For hundreds of years we've been dealing with the, the colonizer. We know what he's about. Mm. We know how he thinks. So we need to now focus on our own people because we are still at the bottom of the food chain, guys. We are still at the bottom of the pyramid. So let us leave him because we know we've been dealing with him for 400 years, yeah. right? Slavery to apartheid, to post-colonial slavery, which is happening today that we see every day. We need to focus on making sure our people are not consumed by the hyper-capitalism and the hyper-consumerism that the world is run by today. You know, we need to make sure that our young people are not so focused on how many likes, how many followers, how many bottles of champagne I can pop, right? We need to say, guys, the true value of a man is if you are find yourself in a privileged position, whether you're a musician, an artist, a sports star, a prominent politician, your job is to make sure you uplift as many people out of poverty as possible mm. so that we can say, Derek... How many people did you lift out of poverty? 100. Well, guess what? I did 200. That's what makes me a better man. Yeah. yeah you yeah, understand? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Those are the values that we should be aspiring to. That's how we should be competing amongst each other as black yeah. people. Mm. Um, okay, I just want to quickly move on to um, <laughs> to the alchemists. Yeah, I was going to mention this. <laughs> you know, obviously, you, you, know, you mentioned it in the book, and we've had many discussions yeah. about the alchemist on the show. Okay. I read it in university, and... When I read it, I was a huge fan. But then as the years have gone on, I've become very critical. Mm. Quite cynical of it. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you, what is it about The Alchemist that you think resonates with so many people? Because I know this book has sold tens of millions of copies. You know, I read it when I was in high school. And uh, obviously, I was somewhat of a troubled youth, a rebel without a cause, you know. Just trying to have fun all the time mm-hmm. and not trying to hear about discipline and taking care and, you know, watch your friends and all these things. Yeah. I just wanted to have fun. No one that's, has time for that. That's and, the life, uh, though. Yeah. Obviously, until things hit rock bottom, then you're like, okay, maybe I need to reflect a little bit. All right. <laughs> yeah. And uh, what I enjoyed about the Alchemist is that, you know, like he, he went on this journey and each time he reached a block, you know, there would be this voice right that would come and talk to him and make or it would come in his dream and it would make him realize that listen 
you're not going to go anywhere by playing and being a victim. You need to take charge. Stop. And a lot of the time, we as black people are playing into this whole victim mentality. Mm. You know, we need to be able to take charge and realize that ultimately we have the power. The, con- the destiny is in our control, not the other person. Mm. You understand what I'm saying? It's about realizing that, though. It's about realizing yeah. that. We mm. cannot continue being victims, brother. That is one of the key lessons I learned from the alchemist, mm. you know? Yeah, man. Um, I read it a long time ago, so I haven't been back to be able to see it from a point of view because I was in high school now. Yeah. I'm sure there'll be things that I'll see now that I didn't realize before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 You read it once? I just read it once, yeah. yeah. So in terms of, like, you know, the victim mentality... At what point can you say that someone has that mentality? So, for example, us examining the past and critiquing colonialism, slavery and all of that kind of thing, it's been a long process. And I think it's probably been this long because our colonizers and the people who enslaved us have refused to engage with it, with us. So there hasn't been like a conclusion. Do you know what I mean? So if we're doing that, because a lot of people do say, if you keep talking about these things, why are you acting like a victim? But then would you classify those people as having a victim mentality because they keep on rehashing the same things? No, there's nothing wrong with, um, you know, acknowledging the past and talking about the past, analyzing and critiquing it. But what is the end goal? Where are you trying to go with this conversation? Let us not just criticize and point fingers for the sake of pointing fingers, for the sake of, you know, saying, hey, you are bad. Don't act like you're better than me. You're not better than me. You are involved in, you know, oppressing people, etc. For me, it's about, okay, guys, We understand what we've been dealing with for the past 500 years. Where are we going? Where do we want to take our people in the next 50 years, in the next 100 years? Because the same colonizer has planned 100 years ahead. We have not. So he's still ahead of us. Mm. So that's why we need to focus on our own progress. You understand what I'm saying? We need to focus on our own progress, guys. Mm. For me, the greatest crime that ever happened was slavery, right? And the wealth... And the billions of pounds and dollars and francs that it had created, because some of these very wealthy institutions that you find here in England, across America and Europe, have been built on slave money. We should be coming together and say, what? Are, we want reparations. Mm-hmm. Do we want reparations? Hell yes. We want reparations. <laughs> they need we to want. pay mm. back for the land that they have stolen. Mm-hmm. They worked our grandfather's backs to the point where there was nothing on the on the, on the bone, mm. right? It was just nothing but just skin and bone, right? And I have come to the conclusion to say our reparations to be as such is that because of the amount of money and time and Lord knows what else they took away from us, mm. our dignity, etc. I believe our reparations should not be us getting money. But I believe that no black child should ever pay for education. That's how they should pay back for what they've done to us. Mm. Because like Madiba said, education is the most powerful weapon we can use to change our world. Mm. So these institutions, the corporates, the governments need to come together and make sure black people should not pay for education. That is reparations for me. Yeah, that's fair. It sounds fair to me. I always struggle with this, obviously. It becomes a a, a sense of pan-Africanism, doesn't it? Because I'm just like, well, do individual black nations have to focus on their nations and then come together as a wider... 
I think African it's, diaspora. It's possible to do or, both. Yes. You think so? Yes. I think it's possible yes. to focus on yourself and focus on the bigger picture. In essence, I still am a Pan-African, but when I was really into it, you know, I was kind of like going through this, how can I call this? It's a phase. This, this black power phase, yeah. yeah. And one of the arguments that a lot of black people I'd speak to is that black people, Africans are not a monolith. Mm. We're all, we have our own countries. And I feel like that, throwing that argument at a Pan-African is really unthought through because okay. like I'm saying you can do both you can focus on yes. your country and you can focus on Pan-Africanism and bringing things together you know Kwame Nkrumah did it he was focused in Ghana but at the same time he was thinking how can we unify Africa do you know what I mean 100% yeah 100% um, it's very important you know when you look at Africa today um, you will see that there are two main influences as far as youth pop culture and influence in general is concerned South Africa and Nigeria, the two biggest economies. And when you look at, uh, for example, uh, Trace Top 10 Africa playlist, five of the songs are from South Africa, five of the songs are from Nigeria. (laughs) And our cultures are are mixing very well. Mm. But where we find issues is our governments are not coming together. I believe that if these two leaders were to truly unite on every department, on every level, we will start to see the unification of Africa and that will start the process of Africa coming together, building our unity, reigniting the solidarity that we had and moving towards a road that will finally give us true independence mm. and prosperity. Yeah. Um, just going back to the alchemist and, you know, you talk about the idea of a legend um, and, you know, basically your destiny or your goal, your purpose and so on and so forth. And, um, you know, you mentioned that, you know, when your mother died of complications because of HIV, you felt like your legend had changed. It had taken a different shape. What was that process like? Did you feel the change happening or was it, did you just decide, okay, this is what I need to do with my life now? No, it was it was a gradual process uh, because I was very angry for a long time, you know, because the stigma attached to HIV AIDS was very real and it was really ravishing our our country. It's the first time any disease had come with the moral compass, you know, Mm. because HIV AIDS, how you contract it is through sex. Mm. So you have been engaging in immoral behavior. You have been doing dirty things. You're promiscuous. You know, all these attachments that come with it. And so people were literally dying in shame, dying in silence by themselves. And, you know, I I found out about that my mother had HIV AIDS probably six weeks to a month before she died. It was really at the last last moments. And then my father died after that, two years later. And, uh, you know, I'll never forget that meeting we had uh, the next day after he died. We, discuss, we came together as a family to discuss what we would tell the world as to how our father had died. And my one aunt, or cousin actually, she said, well, HIV AIDS doesn't kill you. It kills your immune system. So you're unable to defend yourself Mm. against common illness like pneumonia, bronchitis, etc. So that's what we can say. And my grandfather said, no, we shall not do that. We shall simply say, my son was taken by HIV AIDS. Full stop. Mm. That's it. Do not mention anything else about related cause of death and other illness. No, HIV AIDS. And really that was a breaking point, a turning point uh, in South Africa because it was the first time a prominent family had disclosed the cause of death. 
Mm. You know, and just purely saying HIV AIDS and not mentioning any other related illnesses. And I think that gave a lot of people courage and it became a catalyst in us dealing with HIV AIDS on an open table. You know, to say, you know, in the statement on that on that day, he said that we need to fight HIV AIDS like cancer, like hepatitis, like any other disease that has been on this on this earth and not really put so much focus on this moral compass you know Um, it's ridiculous i have a lot of theories about hiv aids uh, but i'll share them another day (laughs) (laughs) off the back of that then i have two questions so what is the state of the stigma now in south africa and also i want to ask do you feel like the progress that your grandfather made in terms of people recognizing hiv and tackling it like just a, a disease was taken backwards by mbeki and his policies towards HIV and AIDS? Um, yeah, I mean, we've, we've gone through uh, a lot in terms of from Adiba to Mbeki and to now. But I can say currently the stigma is, is almost gone. It's almost disappeared because okay. people, even in the villages, talk about HIV AIDS very openly. You know, um, I have one of my cousins in the village in Kono who's actually got HIV AIDS and they talk about it like... Like it's any other disease. So uh, I'm very happy to have reached that stage. But of course, when Madiba did it, it was actually in 2005. So Mbeki had already, we had already passed the, in the Mbeki era because Mbeki came in in, in 1999 mm-hmm. and he did his 10 years. Mm-hmm. So it was after his, he had, he had already accepted by the stage yeah. that there was a link between HIV and AIDS, mm-hmm. basically. But yes, I mean, obviously during that time, there was the TRC, there was Zaki Ibrahim, there was um, Kosi Johnson. You know, majority of the society had been moving in one sort of direction to say there is a relate. They are related. They are a cause. HIV causes AIDS. Mm-hmm. Um, so by that time, um, Becky had to accept it. Yeah, there yeah. was nothing he could do. Um, but I think a lot of people feel that because of that stance and, you know, because we didn't allow the antiretroviral medicine to come in, a lot of lives could have been saved. Yes. That's the one thing that's kind of a dark cloud over Tabenbeke. But I must say that Tabenbeke actually led South Africa through the most economic growth we have seen in history mm. of South Africa. So he was really a good president mm-hmm. uh, for, for the large, you know, the 80-20 rule. 80-20 rule. He gave us the 80%, so we're happy yeah. about that. And uh, right now, you know, our our I think in I saw a statistic recently for colleges, it's down to 13%, you know, where it used to be 29%. Mm. You know, it used to be one in four, which is which is crazy, you know. So we are doing well, but now where it's picked up is in the younger generation. The 16 to 21 year old uh, sort of segment of the population it's rising again Mm. it's just peaked again so we need to consistently remind our people that HIV AIDS is not gone a lot of people think that we've we've won the fight against HIV AIDS it doesn't exist anymore you know and it's it's ridiculous you know people need to continue testing themselves from now and again and make sure that they use a condom every time they engage in sex and if you don't want to use a condom make sure you you know your status absolutely I wanted to actually ask if we could move on to Mostly Flicks very quickly. Mm-hmm. What were your thoughts on Black Panther? Oh, I loved it, to yeah. be honest. Um, 
you know they're using my language yeah in, yeah. The, in the movie and that was a, an amazing surprise for me because i had no i had no idea yeah um the official language of wakanda is Tosa, yeah uh, which is my native language so that was really amazing uh, and for my kids to also see that it makes them proud and maybe we'll sort of motivate them to learn the language because currently my kids can only speak English. Oh, right. You know, it's very difficult teaching them. Also, my, the mother is Betty, so she speaks another language altogether. Okay. And so I made sure that I try at least the nanny's Tosa, so she speaks for them in Tosa. But, you know, everything, movies, music, TV, school, everything's in Tosa. And I'm traveling a lot. Uh, that's what I do most of the time. You know, speaking at colleges, promoting you know, our Africa rising sort of ethos, etc. So it's very difficult to uh, get them to speak closer. Yeah. Well, I mean, I was very critical of Black Panther when I saw it initially. And I did come across one thing, a statement. I think somebody tweeted, somebody did like a long thread of tweets. And he finished it by saying that no one can explain to me why the hero of Black Panther is a white CIA agent flying to stop a black uprising. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And I just thought to myself, hmm. But, I mean, that was a decision that was taken by the king of Wakanda, Black Panther himself. Yeah, He's the one that said, you go and stop these people because the way they are doing it is not the right way. You cannot just go there and arm people who are not educated mm. because that's what's happening in America right now. Yeah, America, you're going to just breed... Violence begets violence, and you're going to breed a nation of psychos because America's filled with them. People that walk into the cinema and just open fire. You know, mm. that is the one nation that has the most amount of psychos. Do we want to create a, a nation of psychos, of black psychos? Yeah. No. <laughs> so I don't agree with that view. You don't agree at I all. don't agree with that view. See, that's what I that operative came from, from the king of Wakanda to mm. go and stop them. But I think it's the, it's the imagery, it's, it's, what, you know, it's what the movie kind of puts out into the ethos oh but he was under the, the directive he was under the 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 mandate of the king mm. he was not acting on his own he was not the hero of cia the hero is the king of wakanda but it's still in the it was still in his best interest though wasn't it to stop a black uprising in america i mean like i said it would have not been the right uprising to mm, arm no, uneducated people it would have mm. backfired on us because i was completely it against killmonger been, and i was just thinking I wasn't completely against him. Like, I think he was—he conflicted, you know, that whole anti-hero sort of thing. Anti-hero. Yeah, he was kind of an anti-hero. But you can't lead with anger. That was That's my one thing. issue. You cannot lead with anger, brother. Yeah. Mm. You cannot. You will. It will be detrimental to your conclusion, to yeah. your to your end goal. I just found it how interesting. I mean, as much as it's been oversaid and overdone, it's the first time you've seen an African country that what the possibilities of what it could have possibly ever looked like had mm. it not been colonized mm. and that was hopeful a weird kind of hope like it's not probably might not happen because obviously mm. nearly every country in africa is colonized but then you've got just the fact that it's there and the fact that it can be it was conceptualized kind of just made it was that yeah. element of hope kind of thing uh, interesting okay i have one more question for you mm -hmm. so what do you feel about the fact that wakanda was thriving and allowed colonialism, slavery to happen while it was thriving and didn't share any of its technological advancements with their neighbours? Well, of course, you know, um, when you're going through great uh, challenges, mm -hmm. sometimes you have to make a sacrifice. It's like Fidel Castro. 
Fidel Castro is a little island fighting against this huge nation of America. He had to take certain measures that were not necessarily in the interest of his people, which seems to be taking away their liberties. So they couldn't have cell phones, the media was controlled, things of that nature, right? But if you think about the amount of times the America tried to assassinate Fidel Castro, over 400 times. There's a museum in Cuba. I've never been, but I've been told there's a museum in Cuba mm -hmm. that shows that the American government tried to assassinate more than 400 times. <laughs> really? More than are. 400 times. Can you believe that? Right? He had to take certain hardcore measures mm -hmm. that people will not necessarily like for the interest, for the protection of his country of their culture, mm. of the heritage, of the history, of the knowledge that the lineage has produced over those years, and then figure a way out how you're then going to do it. Don't just do it for the sake of doing it. You must mm. have a strategy. That's what we forget sometimes. You know, we get excited, and then you just blurt things out. And then, you know, that white man is going to hear you, and then he's going to go with his own strategy and make sure that he's the one who benefits more than you. You understand? Mm -hmm. And we don't want that. Like right now, for example... There's huge development taking place on the continent of Africa. But who are the people that are actually making those developments? It's Chinese companies. It's European companies. So who are the people who are going to benefit at the end of the day? It's not going to be Africans themselves. It's going to be multinational corporations. Mm. So we have to be able to always say, guys, what is the best strategy to make sure that Africans are the ones that benefit from the development that's taking place on the ground? Mm. So let's not be too quick to get out there, you know, sometimes we need to take a step back, you know, in order to take five steps forward. Good answer. <laughs> and just to say about Wakanda, the most important thing that Black Panther did is, is to give young black children that sense of instilled pride and confidence in being a black person. You understand? I saw a most video definitely, definitely. of a Chinese kid crying to his mother saying he wants to be black like Black Panther. And the mother was trying to tell him that, no, you are Chinese. And the kid was like, no, I want to be black. I want to be African. You know what I mean? How amazing is that? How amazing is that? Well, guys? the companies are there, so you know? sure yeah. you'll be able to go soon. <laughs> um, <laughs> cool. Well, thank you so much for coming. Thank on. you. It's a pleasure. Are you got anything that you want to No, so with? yeah, let's just wind down. Where can people find you? If they want to reach out to you, if they want to look up what you're doing... Sure. Um, on Instagram, it's Ndaba underscore Mandela. Okay. On uh, uh, Twitter, it's Ndaba Mandela, one word. And for our foundation, the Africa Rising Foundation, it's Africa Rising Org, one word, both on Instagram and on Twitter. Okay. Awesome. Amazing, amazing. And don't forget, you can catch us on Twitter at MostlyLit, Instagram at MostlyLitPod, and email MostlyLit at gmail.com. Guys, we're here every Monday. Catch us next week. Yeah. Thank you for joining us. Salute, brothers. Yeah. Thank Bye. you. I'm Derek. <laughs> and I'm Ray. I'm Alex Reed. Welcome back to another episode of Mostly Lit. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? 
Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.